Good afternoon, everyone. Hope you're good. And you'll be pleased to hear that there's no blaring music or video just because we're having a few problems with the, the browser and our stream at the moment. And so hopefully you can hear me okay. But essentially, uh, we've just got to try and modify things for another few days. I think next week it's going to sort itself out. Um, but we have a brilliant guest on today. And as you might have seen on the titles, we're talking about vaccine hesitancy. Uh, Oliver Thompson, uh, who's a friend of mine and uh, the brilliant host of the Words Matter podcast, of which if you haven't heard that show and looked into his work, then you are missing out. Absolutely brilliant and thoughtful analysis coming from Molly and friends uh, with regards to the way in which communication and raising our standards in that direction can, of course, be of benefit to patients and clinicians alike. And whereas we're not yet going to be weighing into some of his uh, other work, um, but although he's promised me that he'll join me on the podcast at a later date to sort of get stuck into that, because he's been doing some brilliant work with our mutual friends at Cause, Cause Health. Um, but today, I wanted to try and get him on the show as soon as possible to talk about his latest editorial uh, that he's written in the Journal of Osteopathic Medicine, I think it is. And it's about vaccine hesitancy in osteopathy. Uh, for those that don't know, that is Ollie's background. He's an osteopath by training, however, uh, famously professionally agnostic, a little like me, uh, in that we both identify more strongly as MSK therapists who are less bothered about the specifics on professional identity, although fascinated by those variables. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but essentially, uh, I think that a lot of the things that he discusses in this editorial are incredibly important for us all to reflect on, as well as understand our own personal biases in that direction. So hopefully, um, if the technology behaves itself, do let me know if you can hear me okay and particularly once Ollie's on um, and do get stuck in on the comments section if you can you know what Fridays are like usually you're, you guys are all a bit more animated but without further ado Ollie can you hear me I can hear you and see you fantastic lovely right now I'm going to get you to jump in and tell me a little bit about how this piece came about and, and a little bit about it but before I do I just want to ask anyone that's tuning in live to let us know what your take is on, on the vaccine at the moment. Have you had it? Are you going to have it? Uh, are you are you hesitant? If so, why? Um, feel free to know this is an open forum and certainly a safe place to share those sorts of things. Um, but particularly around the context of what we're going to discuss on this article is that this was a multi-layered, multi-level analysis from you and colleagues. How did it come about and what do you think? Um, so thanks, Jack. So it came about. So firstly, the paper is open access, so everyone can get hold of it. That was that was important to well, us. Well reminded. Um, well reminded. I've just look. It's, <clears> it's in the show. It's yeah. on the titles, and I've just posted it in the chat um, as cool. well. So yeah, that, that's all clickable. Do have a look at that. Um, in terms of how it came about, it came about I th by some observations that a couple of the authors had on social media and some sentiments around vaccine hesitancy anti-vax. Vaccine hesitancy is, is a new phrase that's used rather than anti-vax or vaccine scepticism. Um, so it, it was initiated by that it, also at the same time when the vaccine was being rolled out. So we kind of put two and two together combined with the kind of background of osteopathy being this kind of natural therapy and it rejects medical interventions historically. Um, so we wanted to really just put a piece together to articulate that view and, and not necessarily point big fingers at professions or parts of the profession, but just to kind of raise awareness that there's a potential here um, and to, to suggest further research into vaccine views amongst osteos and probably others too. Sure. And, and so is this is bringing this forward in osteopathy specifically, does that make you a bit of a heretic? Are you going against a particular wave or is it is it more a, a fringe? What, what's the sort of... So, yeah, so we don't, tr truth is we don't know. 
Um, there is no, there's no empirical apart from empirically me witnessing on social media, but there's no, there's no published work about that. So all we can really go by is anecdotal stuff on social media, which I mean, people are doing social media analyses now on vaccine views. So in a way, social media provides empirical evidence. Um, so I don't, I don't know. My, our sense is, or certainly what has been overwhelming is the, is the response to the paper, which has been, you know, I want to, you know, ninety plus percent positive. Right. For sure. So people, I think we're giving voice to many parts of the profession which are kind of um, tired and, and kind of fed up with some of the views which which we were alluding to. So no, we're not. This isn't. It's not it's certainly not a big. It's certainly not a big issue in any profession really. And I think with the it is a small. It is a small but noisy group. Now I um, particularly like the language, especially in its. I mean, it's a great paper, and police people need to read it and not use this as a as a, an excuse not to. But essentially, the, so its opening paragraphs are appropriately careful, and I think the term vaccine hesitancy, especially in the context of COVID, is an appropriate separation from anti-vax, which until yeah. recently certainly involves the the sort of typically the Andrew Wakefield School of Thought in yeah. which there's been some scientific corruption that's occurred in which there's been inferences of, of, of vaccines being causal to autism and the like. But then beyond that, really, as to as to uh, a real um, well of misinformation that, that can then be on well established from from smallpox and onwards, the incredibly incredible feats of science and stuff that, that have been incredibly well validated over the course of time. That the people that are opposed to those for sometimes naturalistic reasons and other <clears throat> forms of, of, of pseudo skepticism, I think there is a real relevant distinction and quite crisp lines between yeah. that and those that are thinking, that's been that's been pretty speedy, yeah. and that yeah. we were told this would take years, it's only been months. You know, it feels like that's a more appropriate and very human response to have a hesitancy, and I prefer that language. Were you at pains to make that distinction? Yeah, so so I, I mean, I've been aware of the term, but I hadn't been aware that it had been this, this, this is the kind of the, the new, the new nomenclature in the, in the literature. I think that in, you know, I was, I had the Pfizer vaccine. I was kind of hesitant, or rather, I had some moments where I thought, hmm, this, I wonder what that'll be like. <laughs> I wonder if I'll experience any any adverse effects. Um, and so I had to. I wasn't hesitant, but I was, I was reflective. About the, the, the experience, yeah. Did you ever feel yeah, exactly. like that when yeah. you had your Hep B vaccines? Like, this, or, or when no. you, have you ever had a yellow fever jab, for example? Have you been? Yeah, to... so all that stuff. So, so, so it's the same. Actually, it's a similar. I think with this particular vaccine, I was a bit more interested or aware of those emotions. Mm. Um, we didn't get a chance to really separate in the paper, disaggregate, kind of. Or we tried to, you know, true questions, genuine questions that we all have as kind of interested clinicians and sciencey type people. I wonder how they did that in such a short time. I wonder if they did kind of, you know, um, cut corner, totally genuine questions that, that clinicians might have. We didn't really get a chance or space to really separate out those views from the other end of the continuum, which is this is just the worst thing in the world. No, And some of the quotes on social media were, you know, no osteopath worth their salt would have a vaccine or give, I mean, not many views, but some really strong opposing views to vaccines. Um, and But they kind of seemed to lie in a continuum between a bit kind of wondering what this thing's going to be like, but otherwise, you know, open to having it and all that kind of stuff to complete resistance. And so we didn't get a chance to explore that continuum. And that wasn't the purpose of the paper, really. No, and also, yeah, it's got to be an appropriate parameters to a paper. Otherwise, yeah. it's a book, isn't it? And uh, no doubt, maybe, maybe that will come from the response, perhaps. We, never it, know. it took us two weeks. We wrote it in a couple of weeks. I think from the, me having the idea 
drafting it and then just bouncing it around to the rest of the, 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 the team. And we got it done in like two weeks or even less, perhaps. So it was pretty rushed. Amazing feat. And especially if you think about I had Emma Brockwell, I've had Tom Jesson on recently. We've got a couple of other books of friends of ours that are out soon and stuff. As soon as anyone's putting anything on paper, be that a, uh, be that a book or a paper like this, then I'm always in awe because it takes me two weeks to write an email. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just over the moon that you've done it. And thank you. Um, so just talk us through a few of the a few of the things that you know we've kind of alluded to already, but what is it about osteopathy and, and do you feel that there are appropriate then proxies across MSK or do you think it is something that the, there is a relevant dis distinction to be made? So so I've got to be I mean so I'm careful because my views don't represent my employer. That's the first thing. But I don't know, I don't, so the truth is, I don't know if there's anything special about osteopathy compared to other similar professions. We know, I suppose the most, you know, obvious example is, is the chiropractic profession. They have kind of similar historical emergence and events around their development. And there's probably, I think, my sense is stronger view. So in terms of what is about osteopathy, which is different than other professions, vaccine hesitancy, I can't say. I don't, I'm, we'll all be speculating because we don't, there isn't any kind of evidence to, to point to any, to, and it isn't, there isn't evidence to, even to say that osteopathy is more vax hairs or less vax hairs than other professions. But what we outline in the paper is that there are some kind of edicts and some principles which appear to be you know, on reasonable reading compatible with vaccine hesitant, the current vaccine hesitant views, such as mistrust of medicine, mistrust of big pharma, wanting to be natural, you know, fears around harms and safety around vaccines. So those kind of views were a kind of those current views around vaccines seem to be compatible with the historical concepts and principles which float around osteopathy. We don't know. There's some evidence say that even modern practices kind of, you know, they're pretty not fussed about those principles. Some of them don't even use them. So it's not a clear trajectory mm -hmm. that this happened 150 years ago. This was this was the thinking 150 years ago. Therefore, the same thinking applies now. We're, we're not really making that case, but we know that there are osteopaths which who adhere very strongly and religiously to those traditional ideas. And so we're kind of speculating that there's a potential there to hold, you know, vaccine heads views. Yeah, you can you can make you can make sense of the sort of ideological roots that would be consistent. You know, it's always you're looking for those sort of consistencies that might mean yeah. that people would, if they perceive that uh, you know, naturalistic tendency to to then aspire away from medicine, from chemicals, from big pharma, then you could comprehend the fact that that would then be considered to yeah. be just another flavor of poison that's come up with recently, of which especially uh, different different reasons, including the ones that we mentioned before, that mean that the the yeah. Uh, the perception and understandable perception that this has been sort of rushed to market is one that would be yeah. a red flag for many people. Yeah. I mean, there are, and, and with that, even though I'm saying it's speculation, we can't kind of map the history to current, or to best current views around vaccines. I mean, some, some of those on social media are espousing, I mean, they are citing traditional uh, reasons to reject vaccines. So there is some, there is some evidence, if you like, that, that they're not, these, these aren't imagined uh, linkages that actually people are saying, this wouldn't have been done or 80 still wouldn't have approved of this, that kind of stuff. So there is some evidence, albeit kind of a handful of clinicians. Well, yeah, that, 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 that they're relying on historical kind of dogma to support their views now. Well, let's be consistent to mine and your shared interest that when we refer to evidence, we are not referring to statistics, right? So this is one of the things that me and you will talk yeah, about another yeah. time. And so therefore, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do something that uh, I can, I can, I won't be painting with a broad brush, but then similarly, I can I can speculate more confidently, perhaps as well, be me not having a boss helps here. But essentially, the um, I think this probably 
some uh, overlap uh, between distinctions to be made across a variety of different professions with regards to, let's see, independent of vaccines here, it's almost, let's just go chemical hesitancy, right? Pharmacists, pretty comfortable and confident with regards to the, the ways in which biochemistry and the use of, of medication. Doctors, similarly, uh, more, more chemically minded, and, and literally that is the uh, two professions of which you need to have a good basis in, in chemistry science at A-level in the UK, for example, and beyond. And then you go, I'd say that they would be more comfortable than, say, physiotherapists and occupational therapists, of which are less, uh, I mean, because you can imagine that physiotherapists would typically be trying to advocate for rehabilitation and exercise-based modalities, even manual therapies, ahead of, say, uh, med medicinal and, and say surgical yeah. interventions of medicine uh, it, th those distinctions are more overlap than there are distinction yeah. but I think that that's where it comes into the therapies game ends up being at least a little you know pharmacy skeptic at that degree because we try a lot of our core modalities and our passions for rehabilitation or other more you yeah. know it is natural it is more naturalistic than say pharmacy yeah. and I think that then over then then osteopathy and chiropractic then again significant overlaps within the professions but i can i can so understand why if i put that you know pharmacy at one end of it yeah. and complementary medicine at the other end of it you can so see why that the tools yeah. of our trade sort of you know why that would be even independent of vaccines do you do you agree or disagree with that i i, I kind of I, I agree i think one thing we have which you guys don't have is this historical <laughs> this, this this history where the profession emerged or, or created in a way to, uh, to as, as, a, as an alternative to medicine at the time. Like medicine at the time was crap. It was killing people. You're giving arsenic for kind of you know sore thumb and and all that kind of stuff. So invariably, you know, having some manual therapy was a better option for taking poison. So I get so that that was so so from the start, osteopathy was kind of developed as an alternative to medicine. And some whereas you guys developed within that system, you are part of that kind of medical, biomedical mm. system, right? You're working mm. with, you know, with sure. nurses and doctors. And so I don't think that, I think that, that those values are probably more were more consistent across the AHP group. Whereas osteo, some some of those traditional values still kind of continue to thrive or are still passed down. So I think we've got some historical stuff in there which which the Kairos have too and probably the other kind of CAM therapies do. Well, I mean, I, I don't go there now because I got nothing but shot at. But osteopathy is now an AHP. I heard that that yeah. is that is that for me. It was sort of uh, I, I mentioned that it's NHS England. Be you know, it's an arbitrary who who gets that tag, etc. Uh, but again, I got shot at, and I can't be asked going back there. But generally, I think that is interesting because I think that distinction you're making is is relevant. I think that also being in amongst an MDT, even if it's just early in your career for a few years and stuff, and having to having to do that and be it's, it's rarer for an osteopath to be yeah. on a ward round than it is a physiotherapist, especially yeah. early in career. That's sort of a given. And whilst we know there are examples and examples we should champion of better integration. But generally yeah. speaking, I think that grounding does mean that you are you're less likely to be drawn into um, sort of the narrowness that's sometimes in yeah. those cam cam professions. Do, with regards to the sort of um, even if it's only fringe and I'm pleased to hear that it's 90 plus percent of. of yeah, a and I have response. to say and I, th I just got to stress that. We're not making a claim that that this is a big problem with an osteopathy. Yeah. What we don't, I mean, we actually don't know. But but you know, osteopathies. I know what ninety plus thousand practitioners. I think globally is the latest number. Within, we don't know in Europe. We don't know in other parts of the world. But our sense is this isn't a, certainly in the UK. 
our senses this isn't a big problem at all and so it wasn't saying this is a huge problem let's sort it out but rather this you know this is our position as a group of researchers and we didn't represent the profession we were a group of academic type bods that's going to share the same sort of views and want to put voice to those views so so i suppose the two two um pretenses are that it didn't this paper didn't represent the profession and also we don't think vaxes is a big problem in the profession um, we just want to kind of raise the issue and say, oh, you know, there is some there is some room here for some of these traditional views to be used to support a vax heads position, and this isn't acceptable given the the pickle that we're currently in. Absolutely, no, I can I can understand that, and I think that you are uh, both here and in the paper. I think you 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 told that line appropriately. Now, some people will. will I, I don't want I don't want to start getting your hate mail. That's the problem. Well, no, absolutely. I'll filter it for you, mate. You know, that's uh, something, you know, I revel in it. You know, I swim around in hate letters like Scrooge McDuck does money. Like I just find it to be nothing but fuel to my fire. So it's not a problem for me. Uh, I'll keep I'll keep some of it for both of us. Now, what I would say, because you were at pains to do that, and those caveats are important because you don't want to be painting with too broad a brush. Mm. People will willfully misunderstand and, and misrepresent it, and, and also, in, you know, suggest that you're inferring it's a bigger problem than it is. But you've both here and there you, in the paper, you've kind of said we don't necessarily know. We also yeah. can't say that this is a, a an absolute fringe because, as we've yeah. just said, the ideological linkage is is pretty well clear. Yeah. Um, and also, similar sorts of concepts can 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 manifest. Especially, I've seen it amongst amongst physiotherapists, and and this yeah. comes from. I started this show as I meant, you know, on purpose in a place where it's like, there's no dismissal from either of us or most in our community and network to suggest that, that's, um, you know, that we're, we're suggesting that any vaccine hesitancy in, in this context is something that we're, we're laughing at and satirizing and, and inferring that that's sort of nonsensical. Absolutely not. In fact, in both my professional and personal lives, I've got people with strong views uh, that are contrary to my own on this. And similarly, I'm certainly not at an end of a spectrum to be, um, to be then shouting from the rooftops, suggesting that there's nothing to worry about and, and having any conviction in that direction. You know, it's someone that admittedly, I'll say, in, in case I haven't on this show before, but I've had my first dose uh, of the jab um, and, and something that, you know, as Ollie said, mentioned, I, I, I had that pause for thought, but then on re on review and reflection of, of where I was at with it, it certainly felt, it felt safe yeah. and, and felt smart for me to do. Similarly, I am also frustrated by the way in which people take take a, a point or a kernel of truth and then they'll they'll over exploit that and sometimes they get carried away on a theme which is what you're kind of speaking about in this paper is that people kind of go down that rabbit rabbit hole really yeah and there's a you know there's a and there's the, a confidence in in the literature in the field which i'm just always amazed that clinicians have that they can read in-depth immunological papers and probably half these people without being mean but they probably just about passed their dissertation project were able to read this stuff and infer kind of messages or, or create messages in terms of public health to their patients which always always amazes me so i think one of the things we wanted to come up get a put across in the paper was just this at least in the well in the uk but elsewhere anywhere where osteo is well no even if osteo, osteo is not regulated but this public health duty I mean, you have a duty whether or not you have personal beliefs about vaccines you're a professional expectation is to protect your patients and your kind of local community and you are kind of obliged to use credible information for that and, and not 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 provide false or accurate messaging that's what we were kind of trying to push so there's a there's a professional expectation there too 
Do you have any sympathy for the distrusting gatekeepers, be that medical or you know mainstream media gatekeepers? That that otherwise, you know, that's why people don't feel like you, you, what you're describing as being credible sources. They would just dispute. And so, do, do you have any sort of sympathy? Yeah, in that I, yeah. No, I, mean, I, don't, I, I don't understand it, I and mean, I don't know who else. You know, these this you know the scientists that make up public health England and the NHS. Th these are the best we've got, and we don't have any better scientists. And if we don't believe them, I don't know who we do believe and and so I, I guess it you know it's that lack of faith in or lack of or trust in institutions which I think also underpins some some of these views that that when you've got individuals disputing I mean the pandemic we've got individuals disputing the pandemic also just the number of deaths that once you get to that level of of skepticism it becomes quite hard to make any sort of progress so so no I don't know because I mean they're, they're the, the same messages about obesity and cardiovascular disease that we will provide to our patients come from the same institution so but on this particular issue <laughs> on vaccines vaccines is quite different and this is curious isn't it well we can't yeah we can't pick and choose uh like that uh, if you're going to be vaguely credible of course yeah. i suppose and this is something i'm just going to i'm just going to put out there and definitely you can keep yourself away from my opinion on this ollie of course but as a general rule i make a, an appropriate distinction between some of the frustrations on policy that have occurred particularly i'm speaking in a uk centric manner here uh, where i can I can so understand and, and, and personally hold, and I've spoken on this show before, about frustrations over some of the policy, the politics, the, the way in which the Quangos have managed and behaved in this instance, the fact that there might not be an appropriate trade-off occurring between public health and economics or public health and, and mental health. Um, you know, there's, there's some things there that, that the, the um, just how draconian or not, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm obviously waiting an opinion even by using the word draconian, but how heavy-handed a lockdown should or shouldn't be. Right? These are all interesting discussions, ones of which we've had on this show and will continue to. That, whilst I can understand it considered within a Venn diagram that has then this vaccine is part of that conversation, for me, I, I think that it's completely compatible, or at least I'm, maybe I'm justifying this to myself and to you as an audience, is that I hold massive frustrations in that direction in which I don't see there being a sensible um, needs-benefit analysis that's, been a, that's constantly yeah. occurring. I don't think the public have been well involved in this. I don't feel as a healthcare professional that that's been considered well. However, similarly, the, the conspiracy that will be required for me to feel like there is the, you know, whatever level of likelihood that I was injected with a microchip a few weeks ago. Let's not pretend that isn't a leap, right? There's 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 yeah. reasons, there's realms of skepticism, and then there is a massive jump that is occurring. And we're not talking about jaw blogs, we're talking about medical professionals that have got a duty of care, and and that's sometimes a distinction that needs making. Yeah, and it, it's, it's you know the the questions that were coming back a lot on social media over the weekend was the lack of evidence around long term effects, and again, it's a perfectly fair question. But but there are also perfectly fair answers as to why there shouldn't be long-term effects, or we think there won't be long-term effects. And I'm certainly no vaccinologist by any stretch of the mandation, but but if we were to wait five or ten years to get that data, we'd never really have any medicines. I mean, particularly at a time now when we need it qu quickly. So so I think there's just this, I suppose, intellectual dishonesty that they're just people are and again, I'm speaking for a small and I'm maybe I'm just venting my last weekend's experience on social media, and this is therapy actually. But there are there are there are, I guess, the cognitive dissonance, which is which is apparent, which we all see. You know. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I think as well, we've just we've just to try to understand as to how we can try and find an appropriate balance where where we, no one's coming across as narrowly dismissive 
or condescending or patronizing yeah. but then similarly we've got to try and find a way to not indulge uh, some of the some of the worst things that that can that can only accentuate paranoia both in the person that's saying it as well as those that might be listening to it and so that's the thing is that you know what i'm like i'm open source conversations and always wanting to get all the cards on the table forever using that analogy it just feels like something that we need to also be responsible as to how we have those conversations um i, I want to bring in a few people from the from the chat thank you for those that are uh, passing comment also for those that haven't seen it uh, or are viewing on a platform that the comments don't appear then there is the link both in the titles and in the chat to the article in full which is open access um let's have a little little butchers uh, thank you kim she said that she had her first dose of pfizer pleased to allow access as a student going back on placement next week change of policy to allow students is giving much more confidence to go back on the wards i think there's a lot of people that are feeling that way is that sometimes that people are uh, despite sometimes a bit of hesitancy the fact that 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 vaccine has sometimes empowered and unlocked people to feel like they can engage with the world uh, in 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 a better manner uh, i imagine that's something you've been hearing about from people as well Ollie yeah there is there is there is i think and i'm going to answer your question with a different point <laughs> but what i think is i think there's also this those that are, are hesitant seem to some of the reasons are this isn't my job it's not with outside my scope to find any information i'm going to remain neutral and that came across that was a kind of the weaker end of vaccine hesitant views where clinicians were well i'm not an immunologist i can't make any recommendations so I'm going to sit back and make the let the patient make you know, let the patient make the decision themselves. But I think remaining neutral on this point, in a way, says quite a bit. Yeah, well, I try. And I bet the thing is with that, and I hear that, and I hear it across various different things, is that the mechanism of effect of interventions is like a personal obsession of mine, right? That's one of the things that's been primary to my own thinking with regards to reflections on on evidence within my own profession. So I wanted to apply that same logic once I started to pay attention to the vaccines. Yeah. And when it, when it comes to what about the long-term data and what about the potential, then of course we've had massive um, scandals in pharmacology through you know yeah. the, the obvious ones being, um, he says obvious and he's forgotten the bloody term. Um, uh, birth, no, well, birth, uh, birth, uh, birth deformities. Thalidomide. of course. Yeah, right. So, so we, we know that, that, that you know, it's, not, it's not fair to infer that mistakes can't be made in that direction. However, the mechanisms of effect that we understand with regards to chemicals and we also understand as to the way in which this vaccine has been, has been made means that your mechanism of effect is an absolutely reasonable thing to sort of draw down and infer long-term likelihood, even though there are risks. And so whilst, you know, I, th I think that that's the sort of thing that if people don't think in that direction, like if people think, yeah. look, I'm not bothered if, if I lay my hands on someone and it hurts less, I'm not bothered how it works. If, if that, you know, which we know is a really prevalent thing across our professions, then no wonder they're not going to necessarily apply this similar logic when it comes to vaccines. And, and, and I think that that's a big part of this really. Yeah, and I think that you know, of course there is there are unknowns, but I think presenting those unknowns to patients at a time where you know to say to a patient, well, we just so the patient says, do you think I should have the vaccine? And the osteopath or the uh, health professional says, oh, I'm just not quite sure. We don't really know the long term effects. And that's a fair that's a fair claim, <laughs> but but I think you know given where we're in, I think the the, the clinician should maybe hold back. I mean, I, you know, it, it's tricky. You, you want to be transparent if the patient says, what are the long-term effects? You will say, oh, well, we, we don't really know. But in a way, by saying that, you're potentially persuading the patient is already hesitant. That's not, sure. it's not, it's not like it'd be bizarre reading of context to suggest that that's neutral. But that, that is not, it's probably not the, 
I suppose it's that if you, if you are on the fence on this, then the, the default position is reasonable yeah. to then appeal to authority in this instance, isn't exactly. it? Like, to some extent, like... They, they, and that's all we were saying. Right, yeah. just, just, just as long as your message, your message has got to be consistent with public right. health England, wherever your authority is. And so mm. the answer would be something like, you know, you maybe it becomes a bit robotic. But you say, you know, public health England are recommending this intervention. It's, you know, it is safe. Something like yeah. that, you know, much more simpler and, and try and reduce that grayness. I've noticed a few comments from Daniel Gerber, a former osteopath, been on the show recently, but he said it's, it seemed that some wanted to burn him. <laughs> did you feel did you feel got at personally at all by any of this? Um, yeah, there were some ad hominems like, you know, you don't see patients. You're just an academic. This is a paper that just re represents a, a small number of people. You're not a real osteopath, all that kind of stuff. But I, had a, I have it you know, every other day, usually. So. It's just another, so it's just another reason for him to make the same claims. Huh? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I mean, uh, and, and I know you've got thick skin. You wouldn't, you wouldn't uh, be in the game you are, and I know you found it interesting. And no, but the funny thing is that the, the more comments came back, it just totally supported the need for the paper, which is quite interesting. They people didn't seem to realise that. They don't realise that either. They're, they're, they're self fulfilling prophecy. So yeah, you need to write a follow up that you wouldn't have otherwise written. <laughs> um, Matt Scarsbrook said, "I think it's another factor here is scientific reasoning throughout the pandemic has been passed through a political filter. Yeah. Perhaps there is an unfortunate perception in general that the science and the politics are one and the." Same. What's your thought on that? I think certainly science gets used by by politicians, and and it's certainly I think in this case more than ever it's just been it's been framed politically in so many different ways, and it's hard to disaggregate some of that. But I suppose it's the duty of the clinician to 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 step back and to see what's true, if you like, and what's and try and remove some of those, those political aspects to it. And um, so yeah, but I can see how that again it muddies. I think some of those emotional reactions to vaccines are intertwined with kind of political discontent or views as well mm. and also the there is a there is a and this is where you know where i've made sure that you can wash yourself of this opinion of mine if needs be but it's kind of the the, the i've mentioned about the the incoherence of much of the policy is is something that can only breed skepticism and i'm really sympathetic to that it's like you everyone is uh, trying to make sense of this and the gross inconsistencies that are occurring and then you have politicians saying just following the science, mister. It's kind of like you can so understand how these things, these inconsistencies, these incoherences will only breed that and, and allow for that to flourish rather than nipping it in the bud because you can't triangulate it, you can't make sense of it. Actually, you know, the, the, the things are become ideologically consistent because they fill yeah. the gaps where there are other inconsistencies in policy. So I have a lot of a sympathy in that direction, but I also feel that um, your paper and, and, and other conversations like this might help to sort of tidy that up a little bit and offer offer some uh, a route forward for us to make sure that we're consistent together and that we all move forward towards hopefully uh, an opening up and, and a, a return to old normal. So thanks so much for your time and thanks for writing it, mate. Pleasure. Cool. I'll no, no. find out a little bit more about you and also make sure you plug the podcast as well. Uh, so they go. Uh, uh, Twitter, either words matter or just my Dr. Oliver Thompson. You can listen to the podcast. You should listen to the podcast. It's brilliant. And uh, and I copied the name of you. I think so. We've still got that court well, case going. Podcasts with the word matters in them. That's the gold standard in our game, right? So just follow all, all variety of matters podcasts. And yeah, we, you know, if Ollie keeps coming on my show uh, to moments notice, then I'll I'll uh, let the lawyers off uh, and back them up a little bit. But thanks as ever, mate. Appreciate it. Pleasure. Take care.